Good morning. Good morning. Very important. <laughs> so it has been, um, for me, it feels like it's been a very long time since I've been here giving a talk. Not sure how long it's been. But most of you know, I left last month to go uh, to Baltimore to pack up my mom, who's downsizing from a very large space to a, in her words, tiny space <laughs> here in Austin. And, um, and all the things that go along with uh, moving someone who's been in one place for 45 plus years only place she's ever lived in this country uh, to a foreign city where she's not even, it's interesting, she wasn't even sure whether they had things like Panera here. <laughs> People were like, oh look, there's a Walgreens. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, big, big shifts, things that, uh, that I, you know, that I take for granted, that all of us take for granted traveling around. Uh, yeah, surprises, little surprises there. Um, as many of you know, my mom has uh, liver cancer. She's in her last stages, and the symptoms are coming, are starting to come. Um, now, I haven't experienced anyone dying of liver cancer before, so of course, every time there's a new symptom, I'm like, is this the end? Is this like, you know, is this signal ultimate, like, you know, this is the downfall? And no, you know, I don't know. So a lot of not knowing. And a lot of, uh, somebody said to me recently, wow, your practice must really carry you through this difficult time. And it was interesting when I, when I heard that because the words, my practice, like we, I think Paul, when Paul Haller was here, he probably did a dyad with you all, where you, he asked, you had the question, a repeating question, like, what does your practice ask of you? Did he do that? What's happening now? Oh, he did what's happening now. <laughs> yeah, another one is like, what does your practice ask of you? You wrote that one down? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so when asking like, what is my practice? Or you know, if somebody asked, like, I bet your practice is really carrying you through this time. I had to stop and ask myself, well, what is my practice? Because when I look back over like how how it is, how it has been, I'm like, well, am I applying my principles of practice to each and every situation as it arises and ceases? <laughs> <laughs> It's a tall order to be able to bring your practice to each moment, and yet that's what we're here for, right? And in Zen, it it's, can be very challenging to talk about because we aren't so much of a path-wise practice. We don't talk about path structures the same way that other forms of Buddhism do. They lay, some forms of Buddhism lay out very clearly, okay, you do this first, and then you do this, and then you do this, right? And then you get to this place called the big E, enlightenment, <laughs> maybe. 
But in Zen, um, you, are you familiar with the, the koan about uh, the two monks and one of them is sitting and the other one is sweeping, I believe, and the one that's sweeping asks the monk that's, this is, I'm, I'm conflating stories. Anyway, I'm gonna tell my story. <laughs> the one that's sweeping asks the monk that's sitting, like, what are you doing? Actually, they, they go both ways, both these stories, I'm totally conflating. What are you doing? I'm, I'm sitting. Why are you sitting? To become the Buddha. So there's no sweeping monk in the story. So the monk says, uh, the, other, the monk who's Basu sits down, finds a roof tile lying on the ground, takes the roof tile and starts polishing it. And the sitting monk looks at him and says, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing that? Why are you doing He says, I'm, I'm, making a, um, I'm making a mirror, polishing a mirror. I'm polishing his tiles to make a mirror. And the monk says, well, you can't polish a tile to make a mirror. He says, you can't sit to become a Buddha. So this koan basically takes the, the notion that many of us, when we first, you know, the question like, what brings you to practice? What, what brings you to a Zen center, or to a Shambhala center, or to a Theravadan center, or whatever, whatever form of uh, meditative, contemplative practice that you go into, what brings you there is oftentimes something that uh, you want to, to uh, improve yourself, right? It could be a self-improvement program, or it could be just out of despair. I don't know what else to do. I'm suffering and I don't know what else to do. Uh, it could be wanting to find a community that shares values of compassion and kindness. It could be wanting to um, embark on a mind training program. Right. The Zen Center, where you go and exercise your mind. Yeah? What? Change your, change your mind. Yeah, that's a change your mind day. You know, go sit and, and uh, change your mind. Everything changes, so we don't really have to work too hard to change your mind. <laughs> Although we'd be surprised sometimes. So the endeavor of practice could be, uh, we could start our practice out of a very selfish idea or out of a, um, you know, uh, a self-gaining Motive, right? Is that is that a bad thing? No, right? Whatever it takes to get to us to start like actually sitting down and looking, right, at our minds. In terms of practices, there are paths paths of practice. There are definitely many many uh, practice instructions other than what you typically here, which uh, I think Koji mentioned in his Dharma talk last week, the idea of, oh, just go sit, can, sometimes is not uh, enough for, for people. It's not enough of a reason. There's not enough of an instruction. It's kind of like being, a, you know, Tessahar used to joke about how Zen practice was like having somebody push you into the swimming pool when you don't know how to swim into the deep end. It's just like, okay, just, you know, figure it out. <laughs> Because there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of in, uh, obvious instruction. However, there's a lot of 
subtle instruction. <laughs> um, if you're, uh, if you come enough times, if you sit enough times, if you Get in touch with your intention. Really get in touch with your intention. Not in an effort to change it or manipulate it or make it better, but just to witness it. Just to witness. What is, what is my life? What is my intention? What is my mind? Right? Somebody, recently lost a family member and was in the middle of uh, a lot of her own uh, upheaval in her life, a lot of changes, and was feeling really quite overwhelmed. And I have to admit, uh, the feeling of overwhelm has definitely arisen <laughs> in my field of consciousness <laughs> over the last um, months um, as I've been taking care of uh, my ailing mom. And she said, how do you, how do you even, <coughs> what, how do you manage, how do you stop the overwhelm from overwhelming you, right? How do you manage it? And then there's, of course, another Zen koan. What do you do when it's, again, I'm just like paraphrasing this. When it's too hot. Can all relate to that? <laughs> what do you do when it's too cold? What do we do? Normally, we run for the air conditioner, <laughs> right? We try and manage it. Mm -hmm. How do I manage my overwhelm? Things are too much. There's too many things coming out, coming at me. What do we do? Good answer. The, the answer to the con is when it's hot, let the heat kill you. <laughs> let the heat kill you. Yeah, this is, this is uh, intense practice. <laughs> That's a real possibility. <laughs> That's a real possibility. It's a real possibility. <laughs> so in terms of... Um, you know, there's something about the phrase, my practice, that always feels a little weird to me. Like I own it, like it's me, it's mine. Like, um, like I'm, in some sense, uh, managing it, controlling it. And of course it's true that we have a part, a very large part to play in cultivating an intention, in um, taking responsibility for uh, the actions that come out of this body and mind, the behaviors of body, you know, the physical behaviors, verbal behaviors, and the mind. What does our mind do when faced with the 10,000 things rushing up all at once? What is the mind doing? It's interesting that I, I keep thinking about Koji's talk with, about devotion, and uh, we had a conversation about it afterwards. And like, I don't think of myself as a, uh, you know, there's this, there's this term, a devotion type. <laughs> but I am. I am a devotion type. But in the same way that I don't think of having a, pr 
practice in some, it's weird, I don't think of like my practice at the same time over and over and over again to return to something, not a thing, but to return to what? Returning, returning to, anyone? The breath. This breath, right? To this moment. Now, that's a very simple instruction and very hard to put into uh, continuous practice because there's so many things <laughs> that our minds you know, go off to and want to grasp and fix and take care of, right? From all kinds of um, underlying intentions, right? There could be intention that is, um, take for example, the, uh, the six paramitas. This, these are practices. Okay, are you all familiar with the six paramitas? Uh, the practices, the perfection practices, the practice of first generosity, morality. Vigor. Vigor, energy or effort, patience. That's the one, Ben, that we didn't get when we were talking the other day. Patience, <laughs> concentration and wisdom, right? In these practices, how do we take them up? It does, like generosity, and this is the study of what is the perfection of generosity, for example, to take the first. What is, so we can answer the question, what does generosity look like? What does generosity in myself look like? Right, it's like, oh, I should be generous, or I need to be generous, or there's a practice called generosity, and I want to benefit from this practice, so I'm going to do something that's generous. Let's see, what can I do? I can do this, I can do this. Oh, I like, I like that one. I'm gonna practice generosity, right? That's great. Now, getting a little bit more subtle because that's a very coarse level of generosity. And, it's, and it can be tricky, right? Because in terms of the spectrum of generosity, there's the generosity that comes with giving, but maybe there's a little bit of a, there's a, there's a hitchhiker on that giving called the self. And that self wants to be a generous person or have take on a generous identity. I'm a generous person. And suddenly, the generosity may not be as generous as we would like. It may not be a perfection of generosity. And so, how do we know? How do we know? And what can we do about it? And is there anything that we should be doing about it? When we look inside and see, maybe we, uh, and again, how do you look inside? You cultivate the mind of clarity by sitting and letting things arise and cease and watching, paying careful attention. And I would say in a devoted manner, totally devoted to sitting, in the sense of devoted to opening to what is this, what's happening now? Because even with sitting, the intention of sitting, people could, you know, you could come into the zendo to sit because you're going to become a Buddha. <laughs> you know, oh, there's a thought. <laughs> you know, you can do like ninja moves on your thoughts. And, and maybe, you know, that would be uh, interesting period of zazen. You might be exhausted from it. 
and um, not feel so refreshed. Not that feeling refreshed is something that should come out of a period of zazen. Sometimes it does, right? So we ask, we come to our practice and we say, what can practice give me, right? And that orientation may get us in the door. But then we watch, right? This is a crucible. The zendo is a crucible. A lot of stuff goes in. Alchemy happens here, right? Mental alchemy. We rinse our, our minds with the present moment. And ideally, we do this at every moment of the day, right? Even if we have to take care of something that's like not paying attention to our breath, can we still, can we take care and take care of our breath? Or do we get lost in the activity? And what I mean by taking care of the breath isn't um, trying to force the breath to be a particular way. It's not like, okay, no, I have to have a long and deep breath. We might have a long and deep breath. But taking care of the breath means, uh, in the way I'm talking about it, means attending to, being close to, maybe even luxuriating in breath as breath is happening, to be completely present and seeing what happens without feeling like it should look this way or it should look that way. How do I show up and be completely attentive and present to what is? Even if it looks, it's really frustrating and you want to strangle it. <laughs> okay, that's what's happening in the present moment. Where's that energy in my body? How am I attending to that energy in my body? Am I blaming myself? Am I shaming myself for having this feeling that I don't want? that I think is not a proper Buddhist feeling to have, like frustration, irritability, downright rage. So on the one hand, it's tricky because we want to welcome, actually. Our endeavor is to welcome what's happening in the moment, which means welcoming things that we don't really want to welcome. We don't want to cultivate anger and frustration and irritability. And yet, if we push it away, if we act with anger towards anger, um, it's a spiral, right? It's a spiral down into a pit. I like to talk about this pit. I've been there. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure all of you have been in the pit before. And the question becomes, well, there's lots of questions that we can have about the pit, but how did I get here? How do I get out of it? Uh, what's this like? Being really open to what is this pit that I keep sliding into? And then maybe even trying out the practice of welcoming. Even in something that you don't, you know you don't want to be in. You don't want to continue these, these uh, to fall down these, uh, this, down the slide of negative thinking. A couple days ago, my mom, um, who was raised Shinto, had Buddhism in her family, was belonged to a Buddhist temple, all that, which I think in the time of when she was growing up in Japan, I think everyone was forced to belong to a Buddhist temple and register their name with them. I mean, 
yeah. the history of Buddhism in Japan. It's quite interesting. And the history of Christianity in Japan is quite chilling. But um, when she got married to my father, who is Catholic, I say was because he is no longer Catholic. He's converted to something else. I'm not sure exactly. Another form of Christianity. But when my mother was married, I think the Catholic Church requires that you, uh, if you get married to a Catholic, that you become Catholic. So my mom did all the catechism. She studied. She had to study this whole thing of Catholicism. She became Catholic. But not really. Growing up, I was Catholic growing up. And um, you know, went to Catholic school and so forth. But she never went to church, and she never practiced Catholicism, so I always assumed she was not Catholic, that she was actually Shinto, which is what she was raised with. But recently, she started, uh, she set up a, an altar with the Virgin Mary. There's like a, yeah. And there's a statue of Jesus with this big heart. It's a cool statue. It's like this big, it's got this heart with a, I think it's got thorns around it, and it's like bursting out of his chest, and he's like, so it's, it's quite striking. And um, she's got this big, these were belong to my grandmother, this big, uh, on my dad's side, she's got this big Virgin Mary standing on the world with like snakes writhing under her feet, and, and she's also doing this. So she started becoming religious as she's, uh, starting to very carefully, slowly face mortality, which I would say my mom has never thought about in her life, probably, in some sense, or actively didn't think about mortality. And so the other day, she asked me, she said, I'm having a lot of trouble sleeping because when I, I know, I feel exhausted, I'm so exhausted, but then I lie down and I try to sleep but the thoughts just come, and they're all negative. Why did this person do this to me? Why did I, you know, da 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 all these are why is this happening to me? What is this pain? What did I do to deserve it? Like, all these negative thoughts were flooding her. And then she, you know, she had this, uh, my dad apparently, early on in their relationship, bought her a rosary made out of rose, Rosewood that actually smells like roses. It's really interesting. I've never seen it before. That kind of wood. But she brought up this rosary and she said, Could you, do you know how to, you know, I need to learn how to do the rosary. Because I need to have something to put my mind on that's not all this negativity. And I don't want to spend the last days of my life in negative thinking. This is a practice. The practice of putting your mind somewhere, of directing your intention, directing your mind. Now, you could step back and say, oh my goodness, you know, you're 81, you've got liver cancer, you should have thought of this before. <laughs> maybe you should have done some prep work, or maybe you should have, or maybe, are you really Catholic? Or, you know, you could think all these things. And, and then there's just the fact of the matter of, how do I turn towards something that's not negative? So how do we not wait until we're 81 with a terminal diagnosis and not being nine months into a six to 12 months prognosis? How do you not wait until then? In your daily life, 
to be able to turn to what is my intention? Not what should my intention be, but just the bare foundational, what do I put my energy into? And look at it and welcome it as this is where I am right now. Maybe you'll find that you're putting a lot of your energy into uh, writing angry Facebook posts about Donald Trump. <laughs> Maybe that's what you're doing, you know? And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, I mean, that's up to you to decide whether this is <laughs> is, this, is this leading to awakening? Are you devoted to it? Is it something that you want to do in your last few hours of life? It's funny, in, uh, a lot of times I hear people, I've heard people different you know, over the years of practicing Zen in a Zen monastery and Zen temples, um, oftentimes people come into the Zen world and they th say, it's too formal, it's too stoic, it's too negative or dark or depressive or depressing. Or, you know, people sometimes say, say like, I want to be like, like there was this article recently, it's like, the black is now out, colors are in. So, you know, I want to wear bright colors and like be smiling all the time and make eye contact. <laughs> the Zen is so like, you know, oh, closed in, closed in. And then there's a story, uh, Koji, do you remember who it was? It was, I think it was, or maybe Tim, you know, the story of the, um, somebody asking the question about the robe chant, which we chant every morning. We chant the robe chant. Somebody asked, I think it was Kabagiri. Somebody asked, it was at Sokoji, and uh, David, uh, it was, uh, what's his name? Carl Bielfeld. Carl Bielfeld pointed to the, and, and said, what does this mean? Yeah. It, was, it was Suzuki Roshi, though. Oh, that, that was good. Yeah. Oh, and you know what it was? is going through the, going, looking for a translation. Yes, okay. And then Suzuki Roshi answers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, I, I love this. Okay. What is this? And the answer was, Love. What does this mean? Love. So like devotion, when you do something, when you put yourself in something, and when you, whether it's taking care of an ailing parent, whether it's driving down the highway and getting cut off by somebody, and you, know, you find yourself like, ah! You know, can you be devoted to that moment? And, and be with what's happening and look carefully, lovingly. Not with a uh, inner critic, I mean, that, obviously that's like what comes up, can come up first, like an inner critic of like, oh, you are not being a good Buddhist, or you're not being you know, the way you wanna be, or you need to change your attitude. But maybe it's just kind of a feeling of like, oh, Okay, I've just exerted all this like, you know, uh, negativity, at react, you know, reactivity. And how do I feel now? Did it feel good to get it off my chest? Did it feel, you know, maybe, maybe it did a little bit, but like, look deeper. Is this what you want to devote yourself to? Yelling at people on the freeway, <laughs> or whatever it is. And to not be, um, to, to not, I don't want to say not, but when 
And if you do end up having some internal critic or sh internal shamer come out and say, that's bad, that's wrong, you know, how do you incorporate that if, with love? How do you incorporate that? How do you devote yourself to welcoming that as well? Oh, this is what's coming up. Come back to your breath. What's important? It's hard to, it's, I find this really hard to talk about because in the, my experience is that I've done over the last couple weeks, I have said things and done things with my mom that I am not proud of. I have blown up at her. I have um, said things that I would have never said to her before about like how I feel <laughs> about you know different things, right? And it's scary and it's uh, shocking. I've shocked myself, and I've had that moment of like. Okay, you think you're a Buddhist priest? <laughs> Did you see the article that came out? Yes, there's an article that went viral about this Buddhist priest in Japan who um, apparently uh, there's a temple in Japan that has, uh, allows people to come, visitors to come stay, it has a guest house. And they, they, you know, they serve them monastic meal, meals and, and they have to, you know, they give them a little pamphlet about this is what we're doing here and please let us do all what we're doing without interrupting. And, so they have some, you know, minor kind of rules and here we, you know, orientation to, this is a monastery and here you're welcome to stay in our guest house. And apparently some of the tourists were leaving, uh, Western tourists that would come in, were leaving bad reviews about the food. I've <laughs> <laughs> never read, like, you know, I've never had this kind of food before and all this Japanese meal. And so one of the monks at the temple apparently responded to these posts mm. in a very unkind way. <laughs> <laughs> or in a, yeah, like, did you, did you see this? I, re oh, I said it to I, you. I, I can relate. And it was weird, he was like, it's temple food, you idiots. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, like, I think he said something like, well, if you don't, you know, it's temple food, so if you don't like it, then, you know, fuck off. <laughs> and he got into some, you know, he was disciplined. <laughs> in Japan, in Japan, it takes the there is this uh, office worker recently who um, who had apparently been uh, taking off for his lunch break about two or three minutes before he should have, and somebody pointed it out, and and he publicly had to not had to I don't know if it's a had to situation, but publicly was asked to apologize, and um, you know you can Google that and see the apology. But it's quite serious, quite serious stuff. Right. So this monk had, um, you know, the, the title of the, the article was something like, even monks, even Buddhist monks get impatient. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, the, the question, what does my practice ask of me? Or what is my practice? That can, be, that can be a trap. I find that for myself, that can be a trap for me. Uh, in the same way that talking about devotion can be a trap for me, and just talking personally, that uh, I only notice my devotion when it's done, almost, when it's, when it's passed. And I can look back and be like, oh yeah, that was a devoted thing. You know, that was me being devoted. 
or, or in the middle of it, it doesn't have words, I think is what it is. So, you know, there's often many opportunities to have devotion in one's life if one wants devotion, right? To have a practice of devotion. And I think it is necessary to have a practice of devotion. It's a question of what are you devoted to? What is the endeavor that you're committing yourself to, whether you realize it or not? And that's the key, right? People think, oh, you have to have, if to, in order to have devotion or intention, you have to know, you have to be consciously aware of that. No, no, in fact, most of what Buddhism teaches us, us is that we are, what is revealed is that we are on autopilot. We are on autopilot from innumerable causes and conditions from beginningless time. And we're not steering the ship, except that we are, our causes and conditions are. Until we stop and can sit down or stand or lie down, but bring the mind in to look at itself. What's happening now? Oh, I noticed that I'm feeling this bubbling energy of love rising in my heart space. That sounds like devotion to me, feeling of devotion. Am I devoted to something in particular? Maybe I'm devoted to life. In terms of mind, when I, going back to what I said about people coming in for a particular kind of mind training, yes, it is mind training. We are training our minds to cultivate an effort to wake up is doing something that if we're on autopilot, we're really not doing. We're just going along with the trends of our culture, of our family of origin, of our reactions to childhood trauma, right? We're just going along without having the ability to stop and turn that awareness to what is this without bringing along the, uh, the fixer, doer, shamer, taskmaster, critic. And if it comes along anyway, we have to welcome it. We have to turn to it and acknowledge, oh, this is what's happening. That's what it takes. That's what devotion to the moment takes. It takes complete openness to accept whatever arises. And then, when we take that practice out into the world, we get to see, um, you know, the, the practice of cultivating <coughs> presence of mind, the practice of cultivating the six paramitas, the practice of cultivating our, um, the awareness of the perceived I that comes up and says, I like this, I don't like this, I believe this, I don't believe that, right? To see that over and over again, we, we cultivate this in the zendo in a very still and well taken care of space, a space where a lot of people have devoted many hours to, to studying themselves, where a lot of people have devoted many hours taking care of the you know, the ritual implements of the temple, right? Polishing the incensor, dusting the altar, 
tending to the flowers. Right? These are all expressions of practice. And we take that, what we learn, which is, may not be something that's readily put into words. Actually, it's not. <laughs> it's not readily put into words. We do, we can put it into words. And um, some people are gifted with the, poet with the ability to write poetry. And that can, you know, comes out in poetry. It comes out in um, it comes out in a gasho bow, right? It comes out in the in ways that we can't really. I mean, we can point to, but experientially, we don't have you know we don't um, knowing about it and having a plan and you know checking off like oh yeah I had a you know I had a good bow today, <laughs> right? It's it's not like that. So, yeah, the path structure is a little uh, not there, and yet all of it's there. Funny thing about that story about the robe, um, about love, is that I don't know if you know that in in, in the Japanese language, in the phonetics, the syllables, the sounds that are made in the mouth in speech production. Um, R and L are two sounds that sound very, uh, they, they blend into each other. So there's no R or L, they're kind of R, R. There's a, the sound is not a, in, as in English, there's a clear R sound and a clear L sound. It's blended, it feels blended. And the same thing with the letter V, V, is more like a B. Okay, so like my, my given name, I was born Lisa Vogel. That was my given name. But growing up, my mom called me Lisa Vogel. <laughs> so, going back to the robe story, when he pointed to his robe and said, love. Was he saying love? Or was he saying no? <laughs> like all koans, <laughs> what's important is what we learn and how we turn it, how it impacts our lives, how we bring it into our experience and our heart and our mind. So I think that's all I want to say today. Um, I hope everyone is uh, able to stay for our heavy snacks <laughs> we're about to have. I think uh, Tim announced that we're having a uh, appreciative appreciation. Um, it's extended, expanded <coughs> tea and cookies. So I don't think there's actually any cookies, but there's super delicious pastries and Bagels, I think, and coffee. No bagels, but coffee, scones, and and actually, uh, most importantly, um, the opportunity to to uh, practice with appreciation. Most importantly, to just be uh, in a group of people, group of with a group of people who are just appreciating with community. 
And um, again, it's like we don't necessarily know what we're appreciating, but maybe we can talk about it. And maybe we can uh, manifest. Like, what is appreciate? What are we? What is this appreciating? What are we in? What does it feel like to be in a state of um, acknowledgement, care, and gratitude? Thank you.